I've heard applause this morning about the offering, about the announcements. <laughs> that's tremendous. We should be thankful and grateful people, that's for sure. We have a great feast before us, and we're very thankful for that this week, thankful for Thanksgiving. A uh, great English poet, George Herbert, said, Thou who hast given me so much, give me one more thing, a grateful heart. I don't know what your family traditions will be this week as you all gather around your table and, and uh, you, you eat all of whatever traditional food is before you. Somebody is probably going to pipe up and say, okay, let's all go around and say what we're thankful for this year. And you just go, oh, no. Well, I'm here to help this morning, okay? So I, I want today to talk to you about one of the gifts that God gives us. And it's usually something we don't think of as a gift. Let me invite you to turn with me over to Mark chapter 1. Mark chapter 1, and we're going to look at verses 14 and 15. And we're going to discover together a grace, a gift that God bestows upon us that we can rejoice in. We need to be thankful, people. There's a remarkable passage in Luke's gospel where Jesus heals 10 lepers. And uh, the 10 are rejoicing as they go on their way and their skin is suddenly restored. That means they can go back to their families, back to the temple, back to their work. Everything that's been wrong in their life is being put to rights and they all scatter to the winds except for one person. One person says, I've got to go back to Jesus to say thank you. And he turns back to the Lord. That's why you're here this morning. Out of all the people on the earth, all the people doing every other thing, you've said, I've got to turn back. I've got to say thank you to the Lord. Thursday's a day in which we'll pause as a whole nation and say, let's give thanks. Let's turn back for the many blessings that are in our lives. And in verses 14 and 15, we discover one of those blessings. Now, after John was arrested, it says, Jesus came into Galilee proclaiming the gospel of God and saying, the time is fulfilled, the kingdom of God is at hand, repent and believe the gospel. Repent and believe the gospel. We use words in, in Christian circles like kingdom and gospel. We use words like believe. We even use a word which has largely been missing in action, repent. But we need to know what they, those words mean. And we're going to take some time to learn them over a few Sundays together now and then again at the beginning of the new year. And I want to draw your attention to the two responses that Jesus says people make to the gospel coming into their lives. He says, as he goes announcing the good news, repent and believe. Repent and believe. Would you say it with me? Repent and believe. Now that's where your Thanksgiving table comes in because when you even hear the word repentance, what happens? You just cringe, don't you? You just go, oh, repentance? I don't want to hear about repentance. That's, that's fine. You, most people don't hear much about repentance these days. So you'd be all right if you just never wanted to hear about it. And yet, it's a message that's all over Scripture. And here's what, 
Here's what it turns, this is what turns out to be the truth. Repentance is a gracious gift from God. Jesus, it says, was exalted, this is in the book of Acts, to be prince and savior and to give repentance to Israel. When the gospel broke out among the Gentiles and Peter went back to Jerusalem to explain to everyone what had happened, and they, they stood in wonder and they said, then God has given repentance even to those rascally Gentiles. And Paul, writing to Timothy, said, when you rescue someone from a dangerous place where their lives are going off track, when you bring them back, you are practicing something that sees God grant them, give them repentance. So this Thursday, as you're sitting around the table and everybody goes around, I'm thankful for this, you can say, I'm so thankful for the gift of repentance in my life. God gave us the gift of repentance. Now, why don't we perceive it that way? There are a number of reasons why why we people don't even want to hear about repentance. They're, they're, it, it, it kind of makes us uncomfortable. They're, of course, obviously, it's because in some ways we're very familiar with that stereotypical image of the wild-eyed fanatic on a street corner with a, a sandwich board draped over his shoulders that says, repent, you know, the rapture is on Tuesday, you know. Um, one of my favorite memes for this week is a group of turkeys all together, one of which with his wing is holding up a sign that says, repent, the end is near. <laughs> so we're, we're, we're kind of like put off by, by those, kinds of, those kinds of messages. But there are other reasons why we, we don't want to hear about repentance. I mean, frankly, just we actually don't like to be told that something in our life needs to change. We don't, we really don't want to be told something needs to change. We don't want to be made to feel uncomfortable about how things are. We like our, our status quo, and we don't want anybody to really disturb that. In fact, some of you are sitting there right now going, I, I did not come here this morning to be told I needed to be changed. I just wanted to hear something nice. Leave me alone. There's another reason, and it's because we actually have such a thin view, a shallow view of what the Bible calls sin. And we don't understand how destructive it is to us and in our lives, how destructive it is to those around us and how it has broken the heart of God. But there's another reason we don't understand it, and it's because we don't understand God's goodness. We don't understand or actually, I think, truly believe in the goodness of God. If repentance is a gift God gives, then it arises from his mercy. You were exclaiming just moments ago, our sins, they are many, but your mercy is more. Our response to the many sins that we have in our lives is to confess them, to turn from them, and to count on God's mercy. You and I depend on the mercy of God, and we thank him that those mercies are new every morning. So I want you to imagine a scenario with me for just a second. You're sitting there at the kitchen table. You've just read a portion of scripture. You're thinking about 
Those things in your life, whether they're attitudes or behaviors, actions, which you know are wrong, and you're confessing them, and you're confessing that one attitude, that one action, which you do 17 times a day. And, and, and I want you to imagine as you confess that sin that Jesus walks in, walks into your kitchen, you're sitting there at the table, and you look up and there's Jesus, he's walked in, and you're confessing right then that thing that you always do. What's the look on his face? Is he frowning? Or is he showing you a face of mercy? and goodness. Is he shocked as you confess this sin? Like, oh my gosh, I had no idea. (laughs) Or displeasure, again, you did it again? Or does he arrive with mercy? Does he give you the grace to turn from your sin, to learn to hate your sin? to turn to him. You see, I think many people who are even Christians think that somehow God is perpetually angry with them and he's pounding the table saying repent when in fact what he's doing is extending his arms his hands, these are nail-scarred hands that belong to Christ. And he's saying, won't you turn away from what's destroying you, what's consuming you, and come home to me? Because that's what repentance is. Repentance is turning around from what's destroying us and turning towards the one who actually gives us life. It's central in the whole Bible. The whole of redemptive history begins really with a a story of repentance, though the word doesn't appear. God comes to Abraham. He's living in Ur of the Chaldees, an idol-worshiping place, and God says to him, I want you to leave where you are, and I want you to go over here. And so he takes Sarah, and they make a move. They turn away from idols. They turn towards the living God and begin to follow him. That's what repentance looks like. The whole story of redemption begins with a man hearing God and turning away from idolatry and turning towards the Lord to become his follower. And so consequently, the prophets that come over the next centuries are always calling Israel back. In Ezekiel chapter 14, the Lord says to, to, to Israel, turn away from your idols and live. A verse many people know, 2 Chronicles 7, 14. If my people, if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways. I will hear from heaven. I will forgive their sin. I will heal their land. This is a gift that God gives in our lives. This is Jesus' first message as he begins his public ministry. The time is fulfilled. The kingdom is here. Repent and believe the gospel. Repentance and faith, these are the two legs with which we walk 
as Christians. These are the first two responses of the heart that has been made alive in Christ. It's a grace that's given to us. It is something we do. We're repenting. We're believing. But they're graces. They're gifts in our life. You knew that faith was a gift. For by grace, Paul writes in Ephesians 2, you have been saved through faith. And that Not of yourselves, it is the gift of God. So you know that faith is a gift, but now you know that repentance also is a gift. In fact, in Romans 2, it says it's the kindness of God that leads you to repentance. He grants us repentance. And that's why it's not something we do to earn salvation. If I just cry enough tears, then God will look and say, oh, well, he really means it this time. Now we'll save him. No, it's the response of a heart that's been brought from death to life. That's why new birth always precedes faith and repentance. When God takes a person who's dead in their sins and trespasses and makes them alive, their heart begins to beat with repentance and faith. That's one of the signs you've become a Christian, that you are saying, Lord, I repent. Lord, I believe. And it's a miracle when that happens. It means that God has taken you from death to life. I mean, suppose I decided next Sunday, we're going to do it a little different this week. I'm going to go preach at the morgue. Many pastors feel that way anyway. Okay, but that's a different, it's a different message. Okay. So I'm going to go down to the morgue, go down to the Boca City morgue, and I'm going to preach. I'm going to preach with everything I've got, you know, best gospel message I can. And then I get to the end preaching in front of every, all the bodies all laid out. And then I say, if anyone wants to respond to this message today, please raise your hand. Well, if a hand goes up, what would you say that is? Well, you would say, that's scary. That's what that is. That's scary. But you would be witnessing a miracle. A miracle because somebody has moved from what? Death to life. And their response is an indication that a miracle has occurred. When repentance and faith arise in a heart, it means that God has moved someone from death to life. It's central to the whole message and the ministry of Jesus. It's not only here at the beginning, at the very end in Luke's gospel, when he's sending the apostles out to preach, he says, I'm sending you to the whole world so that repentance for the forgiveness of sins may be preached in all nations. In the middle of his ministry, in Luke 13, he said, to people, unless you repent, you'll perish. So God gives us a gift called repentance that is given in his goodness, not his anger and his displeasure. It's given in his mercy. It's given to us in new birth so that we can respond to him. Of course, the apostles preach this way too. In in Acts chapter 2, Peter says, to people who are pierced in the heart, and they go, well, what do we do now with this message about Jesus? He said, very first thing he says to them is, repent, repent, turn around, change your mind about the way your life is. Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promise is for you and for your children 
And for all who are far off, as many as God will call to himself. In Acts chapter 17, when Paul is preaching to a a group of Epicurean and Stoic philosophers at Mars Hill in Athens, he gets to the very end of his message and he says, God is calling the whole world to repentance. And the proof of it is that he has raised Jesus from the dead. The right response of people believing that Jesus has been raised from the dead is repentance, to turn from what destroys us, to turn to the God who loves us and can give us life. Later, later Paul, summarizing his whole ministry in Ephesus, talking with the elders there as he took his leave of them, said, I never stopped. You know how I was among you. I, I never stopped publicly and from house to house, teaching and preaching everywhere I went about repentance and faith in Jesus. It was at the core of Paul's ministry. And in James chapter 4, listen to this one. The apostle James says, draw near to God and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Be wretched and mourn and weep and let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves before the Lord and he will exalt you. Now that's James. Is he writing to believers or unbelievers? Well, he's writing to believers. To believers. Humble yourselves. He's saying to believers, draw near to God. He'll draw near to you. He's writing to the church. You see, I think a lot of times we believe that repentance is something we do at the beginning, and we fail to realize that repentance is a gift. It's part of our oxygen as Christians that we go on living in repentance. In Revelation chapter 2, Jesus speaks to the church at Ephesus, and he says, you've lost your first love. Repent and come back to your first love. He speaks to the church at Laodicea, and he says, you're not hot, you're not cold, you're lukewarm. I would that you were hot or cold. He said, here's your problem. Your problem is you say, I'm rich. I see. I have everything I need. And you don't don't recognize your poverty. You don't recognize your blindness. You don't realize how much need you have in your life. And so what counsel does Jesus give a church that is utterly lacking in self-awareness. They're utterly fooling themselves about their true spiritual state. Jesus says to the church, repent. That's what he says in Revelation 3.14. To Christians, repent. You see, repentance is not something we do at the beginning. Check the box. Okay, I repented. No, when Luther at Wittenberg nailed up the 95 thesis, number one of the 95 was this. The Christian life, the whole Christian life is a life of repentance. We live in a place of repentance. I'm going to give you a Latin phrase, um, and you don't have to remember it, but if you do, that's great. It'll impress your friends and neighbors. Simul justus et peccator. It's one of Luther's favorite phrases, simul justus et peccator. What does it mean? Simul, at the same time, justified, justus, et and a sinner, and a sinner. If you're a Christian today, then you've been justified by the blood of Christ. You're forgiven. You're a new creation. That's all true. But how many of you have discovered that even though you're a new creation in Christ and you're forgiven, you're justified, that you still find sin in your heart? 
Raise your hand if you still find sin in your heart. Those of you who didn't raise your hand, you're sinning right now, right now. You're just, you're just what are you talking about? What? I, I was on a platform once with a group of ministers, you know, one of those meetings where they have all the pastors up at the front, and, and some, some preacher got a little carried away, and he said, let me see the hands of everybody who didn't sin this week, and, 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 or everybody who sinned this week, and of course, everybody raised their hand, except the guy sitting next to me. He didn't raise his hand. I said, what, what, what's wrong with you? He goes, well, I've been really busy. So, <laughs> not me, man. I, if I wake up in the morning, I'm sinning. I prepent. That's what I do every morning. I just go, well, Lord, I'm awake. Here we go. Have mercy on me, a sinner. This is the centrality of repentance. It's for the person who's becoming a Christian, but it's the central focus of our whole lives. We turn, we turn from sin. We turn to God. What's that look like? What's that look like that the whole of our lives is a life of repentance? Well, in Luke's gospel, in chapter 15, Jesus tells a story about a a couple of brothers. And let me just focus on one, the younger one. He takes the inheritance from his father. You know this story, the prodigal. He goes into a distant country. And he spends all of that inheritance on wild partying and uproarious living. And, of course, he comes to ruin. And then he's in a pig pen, he's starving, and his job is to feed the pigs, which are unclean. He comes from a culture where that's, you don't have anything to do with pigs. He's feeding the pigs, and he's so hungry, he wants to eat what the pigs are having for breakfast. He wants what they're having. And then it says, he came to himself. Before the prodigal made a journey home, he made a journey in. He came to himself. And he said, here I am starving, but in my father's house. You see, the shape of repentance involves a twin seeing. You see yourself, and you see the father. We see our sinful selves, and we see our holy, loving God. And we begin to understand how destructive our behaviors and attitudes have been, and, and, and how great and good our Father is, and how could we have ever, ever thought that these sinful pleasures were to be compared with the riches of grace and the kindness of God and his mercy towards us and eternal life? How could we have ever been so deluded and so deceived? We come to ourselves, and we come to God. Many people never have a true estimation of their sin. They're always pointing the finger at everybody else. Your sin, what you've done wrong. But they've never taken account of their own sin. And they've never looked heavenward and seen what it has done to the heart of God. If they ever did, that twin seeing would lead to the next thing in the shape of repentance, which is grieving our sin. It says in Luke 15, verse 17, that that... That young man not only saw himself and saw his, his father, he began to make that journey home. And you know he didn't go home dancing. He went home grieving. In Zechariah chapter 12, it says, they will look upon him whom they have pierced and mourn for him as one mourns for an only son. My friends, you see, the thing about sin is We have to begin to realize, and this leads to true repentance, that it's our sin that put Christ on the cross. 
This is why sin is so terrible. It's terrible not just because of what it does to us, but because of what it did to him. There's a, a, a beautiful hymn we sing, How Deep the Father's Love for Us, How Vast Beyond All Measure. And there's a line in it that says, It was my sin that held him there until it was accomplished. Whose sin? Mine. That was my sin. We tend to think it was the sin of the, well, the folks over there in that section. The balcony dwellers, it was their sin. No, it was the Romans. It was the temple leadership. It was those Roman soldiers. It was those terrible people. But no, it was mine, my betrayal, my denial, my deceptions. It was my sin that held him there. This is what leads to true grief over our sin when we turn from it because we know we've grieved the heart of God. And then we, then when that happens, you can be amazed by the fact that having broken the heart of God, having grieved the heart of God, having been the person who nailed him to the cross, Jesus does not hang on the cross and look at us and go, I'll get you for this. No, he hangs on the cross that we put him on and says, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. You go, what? And then you begin to sing with Charles Wesley. And can it be that I should gain an interest in the Savior's blood? Died he for me who caused him pain? For me who him to death pursued amazing love. How can it be that thou, my God, shouldst die for me? And when you know that you put him there, and when he hung there, he said, I forgive you, then you look at your sin and go, how can I continue in this? You turn from it, and you turn to the one who hanging on a cross loves you, loves you to life, and you say, I'll be yours the rest of my days. That's repentance. That's what that is. You grieve, you mourn, you turn to him. You turn to God in mercy. Turning is part of the shape of repentance. You turn from idols to serve the living God. Well, what's the fruit of that in our lives? Well, in Luke 15, 7, Jesus said, starting that parable about the little, little brother, he says, I tell you, there's more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous people who need no repentance. That's Jesus being sarcastic because there aren't 99 people who don't need repentance. But he says there's what in heaven over one person who repents? Joy, joy. I mean, think about that. There's joy in heaven when somebody repents. We look at somebody on their face before God and snot's running out their nose and tears are running down their cheeks and they're going, God have mercy on me, a sinner. We go, whoa, what's heaven doing? Heaven's going, woohoo! Look at that. That's a, that is wonderful. They're throwing parties in heaven because somebody finally Got it. Mercy is in their life. There's joy. And you know what? There's joy in your heart when you repent. After the, after the morning, weeping lasts for the night, but joy comes in the morning. There's works of righteousness that flow out of repentance. When John was preaching this message, they said, well, what do we do? How do we show repentance? And he said, well, if you're a soldier, stop using your power to exploit people. If you're a tax collector, stop using your power to steal from people. If you're an everyday Joe or Jill, then don't use what you have only for yourself. Share with those people who are in need. 
If you have two coats, share with someone else. In other words, behaviors, attitudes, things change when repentance comes to a heart. Zacchaeus said, Lord, everybody I've stolen from, I'm going to repay many times over. He had been a thief, but he restored. And let me tell you this, healing will come to your heart. Healing will come. In Hosea chapter 6, the prophet says this, come, let us return to the Lord. He has torn us, but he will heal us. I was laying in that hospital ICU bed this last summer. I wasn't pleading for my life. I was pleading for mercy. I was repenting of my sins. I wasn't saying, Jesus, I'm a good pastor. What are you doing to me here? That never came up. I said, Lord, I'm a terrible sinner. I wish I was a better husband. I wish I was a better father. I wish that that I was a better pastor. I wish that I was more godly. I wish that my heart and my attitudes were more pleasing to you. Jesus, have mercy on me, a sinner. I repent. I turn to you. Come, let us return to the Lord. He has torn us, but he will what? He will heal us. Ezekiel chapter 18. Repent, turn from your transgressions, so that your iniquity will not be your ruin. Cast away all of your transgressions which you have committed, and get a new heart and a new spirit. Why should you die, O house of Israel? I have no pleasure In that death, turn and live. Turn and live. Turn and live. Brothers and sisters, we have a chance to do that right now. To turn and live. And I'm going to ask you to do it with me. We're going to use Psalm 51 a great penitential psalm that helps us do that. Would you stand with me? And we're going to pray this prayer of King David together. It was David as he repented of his sins. And we're going to do some repenting. We're going to do some turning from the things that destroy us. And we're going to turn to the God who has mercy on us. Let's make this our prayer. Would you pray this with me? Have mercy on me, O God, according to your steadfast love. According to your abundant mercy, blot out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. For I know my transgressions and my sin is ever before me. Against you, you only, have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight so that you may be justified in your word. In your judgments, hide your face from my sins and blot out all my iniquities. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. Cast me not away from your presence and take not your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and uphold me with a willing spirit. Lord, cleanse your people, cleanse me, and grant us, like the leper who turned around to say thank you, the awareness.
that you have given us an amazing gift, the gift of repentance. And may you find that pulsating in us every day, personally and congregationally. May you find Spanish River Church to be a people who always fall on our knees and turn from sin and turn to you and say, Lord Jesus, have mercy on us. Amen.